Praise the Lord. Get your Bibles out this morning. And if you would go to somewhere here. I don't know. Just throw it open for a second. Okay, so I'm going to, because next week is going to be our Christmas Eve service. We're still going to be doing Christmas carols and and all. But I want to finish. I didn't feel like I finished this message that I started a couple of weeks ago about uh, remember I got it wrong? I said, what did I say? Jelly beans to the jelly roll? But the, that word, that, I heard, that song he sang, and it said, you know, I only, only talk to God when I need a favor. And it just hit me. I was like, man, how many Christians in the world? And I know the song goes on because then everybody jumped on me about the song and that really likes jelly roll. So anyway, uh, the song goes on. It's got good words to it. But my point is, is when I heard that phrase, I thought, how many Christians are like that? That you only are going to talk to God when you need a favor. You only have a relationship based upon you have a need. And how wrong that is and how that's not the relationship that God wants for us. This is what blows my mind when I read the Bible and I start looking at the scriptures and all, is that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all therein, wants to have a relationship with us. He really does want to have a relationship. He really wants us to come over for supper every night. He really wants to talk to you. And I'm like, you know, this doesn't jive because, see, our mindset's not like that. Our mindset, we don't understand that. We don't, we don't comprehend that. Our, our brains are all wired differently and where everything's based upon performance and and, and everything, and so we don't, we, we're just like, God, who are we to be talking to you? Am I right? Come on. Give me a wave or an amen or a handshake if you've if you thought about this before. You know, because why would God need to talk to me? And then it goes into this other kind of twisted thinking. Well, he only wants to talk to you because he's trying to get you straight, right? But to think that God Almighty wants to visit with you. These songs, this, this, this time of Christmas, it, it always blesses me because I can remember when I was a, a young boy. I was young. And I don't know why, but the church that I was raised in, for some reason, they had a special Christmas Eve service. Now, maybe they did it all the time, but I only remember the one time. I don't know. But there was this one Christmas Eve service, and I remember going to church, and we went in the evening, and that was different because we never went in the evening, and and, and, and we go, and the church is decorated, and, and uh, they did Christmas carols and whatever. But in that service, that was the very first time I can tell you, I knew God was in the house and something was different. I just knew it. I could feel it as a, as a young boy. I could just sit there, and I knew that Almighty God was in that building, and I could sense His presence. Now, you know, I, I had no... There was no training. I wasn't a, I was, you know, I wasn't a young, uh, what would you call me? You know, I wasn't a young Bible thumping little boy. You know what I mean? And, uh, but I knew it. I could sense it. I said, man, God's in the house. And I was touched by it, that I sensed his presence. And to think that almighty God, that was the one time as a young boy, our experiences with, with, with Jesus should not be once in a lifetime. Should be every day. And so I started this message and talking about, well, what you have to do is you have to, to, to develop a relationship. 
You know, if you, if you want to have a relationship with somebody, you got to go meet with them. You got to go have a cup of coffee. You got to start somewhere. You got to start even if it's just a hello, how are you? Hello? You're with me. Everybody out there still? Okay. And so I started out last week and I said the very first step is, is that is, is to understand what really salvation is. That you, 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 you have a right to be there, not because of what you did. Well, the only thing you did do right was ask Jesus to come into your life, right? That's the only thing you did do right. But it's not because of what you've done or whatever you have a right to be there, but it's because of what Jesus did. It's what he did for you that gives you the, 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 the right to sit in the presence of God, to come before the throne of God, to talk with God, to have the promises of God in your life. Hello? It's not what you did. The only thing you did right was you asked Jesus to come into my life. Hello? Smartest decision a person can make. But there's a lot of Christians, you ask them, you know, are you right with God? Do you know Jesus? And they'll say, well, you know, I hope, hope I am. hope I'm right with God. If you die today, would you go to heaven? They say, well, I sure hope so. We shouldn't be in that place in life. And that was what the whole first part of my message was about, about knowing that you know that you know that you know that you're right with God, that you're saved. Have y'all ever, you know, sometimes, I don't know, as a pastor, I, maybe, I, maybe I look down roads that y'all don't because they're not pleasant. But I looked up the other day, how many people die every day in the world? Just guess in your head there, how many do you think? In the world, every day, approximately 150,000. That's almost 55 million people a year die. Not counting accidents or, you know, some, some big war or something of this nature. Just in the normal death cycle, 150,000 people every day. And so as I was thinking about that, I mean, if there's 150,000 people dying every day, I mean, we ought to be a little bit more thoughtful of, is there life after death? Because then nobody getting off planet Earth without dying. It's a fact. But we don't talk about that. We don't emphasize that. Everybody's trying to make a living when we really ought to be thinking about making a dying. And then if you carry it on into the Christian faith and you look at what we believe as Christians... Well, then you don't ever die because you just step from life to life. You just, you just relocate. That's why I said, if y'all don't like me, you're never going to get rid of me. So you better start learning to like me because you're going to have me around forever. I'm never going to go away. I'm always going to be there. He said, well, I'll get on the other side of heaven. Well, I don't know how all that works, but I'm telling you, it doesn't end. It continues. Everybody say it continues. You're going to go on. This is just this, this pulse of this life that we live here. It's just like you struck a match. It's a, it's a flicker. It's a flame. That's all it is here. So that means there's a whole lot over on the other side. Mm, mm, mm. Are y'all following me here? So I talked about you need to know where you're going. You need to know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. He made it easy, available to everybody. But yet the scripture says... There's many called, but few are going to choose it. And I'm like, why? And then you look at the world today, and you can see why. Because they're so deceived. So deceived. And so 
Our job, though, is to know that you know that you know that you know that you're right with Jesus. Amen? So the second part was, is what does this salvation look like? What does it mean? It's not like you joined a country club. You join a country club, you get benefits, right? I assume. I'm not a member of a country club, but I assume you would. But this salvation that we receive is, comes with benefits. Hello? But what's happening to us all the time, and we use the scripture of Luke 14:34 that and Jesus said, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And there's only one way salt can lose its flavor is to be diluted. And so we live in this life, and all of a sudden, because of the, the tr- problems of life or the troubles of life or the, the woes in life, it starts to dilute our salt. Now listen to me, I'm going to tell you all this, and I hate to get into this much because this is going into my New Year's message. But I'm just telling you all, um, I don't think things are as bad as we think they are. You say, what? You know, it's funny. I, I, I was off hunting, and I was gone for a while, and uh, I didn't have any cell phone service. Only had one mirror in the house. Only saw what I looked like like once. Didn't care. Didn't shave. Didn't even really bathe much. I was just out there rooting around with the javelinas and everything else, you know. Just I ate things I shouldn't have. Didn't care. And you know, I didn't once think about crazy people at Harvard University. Not once. Not once did it cross my mind crazy things going on in government. And it was glorious. And when I came home, you know, I hadn't seen my wife in about seven days and came home. And I should have been happy. But I actually found myself mad. Because when I got back, then there was, there's the mirror. There's the news. There's the craziness going on. And I realized that if I just stayed out hunting, life's pretty good. And the Lord spoke to me right then. And he said, you know, this is what I was trying to show you. This is the way you got to live. It's the way you got to live. So that's going to be the New Year message. I want to show you what he told me. But, but I just want to tell you something. I don't think things are as bad as it. I just think a lot of goofy people are getting a lot of publicity. I think there's a lot of good, red-blooded Americans who love God and love Jesus and, and love church and love country and, you know? And it's just this loud-mouthed idiots that are getting the publicity because that's what the news wants to put out there. But I want to tell you something. I, I'm just telling y'all. I just don't really think things are as bad off as this, especially when you look at the Word. Because when you look at the Word... Folks, listen to me. When you're saved and you're born again, the Bible says all the benefits are are yours. All the blessings are yours. Don't let the devil talk you out of them. Don't let the devil talk you out of being able to go into the presence of Almighty God and sit down with him. Don't let the the crazy atheists and and goofy goof-goofs that are off everywhere out there come and steal stuff from you. My goodness gracious, the Bible says you're a child of God, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus. That the God that makes heavens and earth and stars and all the stuff is your heavenly father. So why are you going to let somebody talk you out of it? Not me. 
The only way you can is you get diluted. You get too much junk in you. Your salt gets diluted. You're not salty anymore. All right? That was last week's message, I believe, or the week before. Frankie was turning it up last week. And so, um, so now here's, I think, my new point, if I can get to it, the third one here that you got to do to have a relationship with God. And it is somewhere down here as I keep flipping through my notes. Now, we humans were, were, you know, God cares a lot about us. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, right? But we're not too smart. As a whole, we're not very sharp. I don't care how sharp you think you are. I don't care what you think your IQ is. There's things that God has in the kingdom of heaven that you don't even, you can't grasp. The Bible talks about unsearchable riches, things that are, that are mysteries, but they're only mysteries because we're not sharp enough to catch it, okay? And one of them is, and this is the foundation stone of your relationship, is to understand and realize the love God has for you, okay? 1 John 3, 1. John said it this way, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What is this? He's saying, what is this love? We don't even understand it. In the Bible, there's three words for love. Okay? One of them is agape. Agape is the love I'm going to be talking to you about. It's the God love. Then there's phileo, which phileo is the love that you have for your wife, your mother, your, 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 you know, your dog, I guess. Um, you know, it's a phileo love. And then there's eros love. And eros love is erotic love. It's just a sexual thing, okay? But what we, we understand phileo love. But let me, let me just say something about phileo love, okay? <clears throat> phileo love has conditions to it. You love your dog until it bites you. Hello? And then you don't love it. You say, well, you do love it. You're just mad at it. Oh, okay, it bites you enough, you get rid of it. Right? Well, we see the same breakdown in society today where, where, where there's a, the, you know, the, the parents have not raised their children in a loving manner. And so children don't care for their parents, don't love their parents, don't, don't honor their parents because... There's a breakdown in society. Y'all following me? So phileo love has conditions to it. Most every love that we understand has conditions to it. Y'all following me? You love the ice cream until they change the flavor. Right? You love going and doing something until, you know, you couldn't do it anymore. It all has conditions. But the agape love of God has no conditions. It's a love that only God has and stretches forth upon us and wants to infuse us with his agape love so that then we can truly not love conditionally, but we can love unconditionally in agape love. We can be like God. Now I can tell you, you're not going to do it until you step over to the other side. Totally, 100%. But we're supposed to learn and we're supposed to let him work through us. It's when, it's when you sacrifice. Agape love is, 
is stories you hear in war where a person sacrifices his life to save his, his companions. It's when somebody does something that, you know, they run into the burning building to save somebody at risk of their own life. That's a hint of agape love. But agape love, truly, if you understand this, this kind of love that God has, then you understand that whenever you're going to be in God's presence, you're going to go to the throne and talk to God, you're entering into a place of His agape love, where He loves you unconditionally. You could be mean, judgmental, doing everything wrong, and we could get a panel here at the church, and they could write it down, all the things you're doing wrong. But God still wants you to come into His presence because He's going to love you unconditionally. Who doesn't want to be in that? See, I think, I, well, at least you were just teaching about religious spirits. And, and, and uh, you know, a religious spirit then turns to you because it's like I can hear them sometimes. When I say something, it's like I can hear them in my head of what a religious spirit says. And a religious spirit says, well, yes, God does love you, but, you know, he wants you to change and straighten up and not do what you're doing. I know. But he wants to do it because he wants to infuse you with his love, and then you just quit. We've, the church has spent so long trying to get people molded into a mold and get it, they can just get them squeezed in there and cut off the excess and get them down in that mold and let that little cookie cutter come out and drop it on the plate, the little gingerbread men laid out. Well, then you'll be, you'll be worthy before God. And I'm going to tell you, you ain't never going to be because the problem bottom is the ingredients you start out with were wrong. We're all made out of dirt. And I hate to say it, but, but you know, sometimes there's some of us that need to be a, a taller gingerbread man or a shorter gingerbread man or a plumper gingerbread man or whatever, you know. We're not all designed exactly to be cookies that come out and look exactly the same. My wife one time made some cookies, and something went wrong. I don't remember what went wrong. And, and, and so she, she had them there, and I said, what's these cookies? And she said, oh, they're no good. You want to just get rid of them. And, but I got one of them. And, man, there was like, it was like they were like super deluxe chewy, like jerk your feelings out if you weren't watching what you were doing, you know? And I just was like, oh, my God, this is delicious. This is so good, you know. And it's like, this cookie's good because it lasts a long time. I can put her in there and suck on it for a while, you know. It ain't going nowhere. And, uh, and so it was a mistake. She said they weren't any good, but I thought they were great. So that's what God does. God doesn't make mistakes. It says that we all look different. You can't put you in the little cookie cutter. You can't go into the little tortilla press and all come out the same. If I buy a package of tortillas, I want them to be all strange looking. I don't want them to all be exactly looking the same. I want to know somebody patted those babies out. I want to know that there was something put into them more than just went through a machine. Hello? Well, God looks at all of us that way too. But see, when we go into his presence and he is sitting there in the throne with this agape love boiling out of him. He wants it to get on you and infuse you so that then you start to act like him. And things begin to change. He doesn't come in there with an exacto knife and start trying to cut off of you immediately. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. 
Ephesians 3.17. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. That word there is agape. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Okay, he says this love... It passes your normal, natural, human understanding, but he wants you to know it. So he can't say in the Bible, you can have this knowledge if you can't have the knowledge. So what I'm saying to you is what I'm preaching right now is that if you've ever, if you've ever started to pray, you were going to, in your Christian walk, you're going to pray. You're going to have a little quiet time with the Lord. And you sit down, and all you can think about praying is about how rotten you are. What you've done wrong, you're not good enough, you're, you're feeling condemned, all this. Well, first of all, you're not in the presence of God, because if you're in the presence of God, you would be feeling unconditional love. What you're in the presence of is the reality of yourself. You're in the presence of yourself. You haven't gotten to the presence of God yet because when you get to the presence of God, you're going to feel unconditional love. You see, a while ago when they were playing the music, I couldn't help but smile and a little tear came to my eye because I'm just so proud of them and it just sounds so good and I just love worshiping God and I just love to see what they're doing and it blesses my heart, it touches me, and I feel God's love. Now, even though I was hunting, you got to understand, I got some great revelations because I didn't leave God. Oh, I still read my Bible every day. I'm still uh, sharpening swords with my buddies and, and sitting up on the side of a rock look, overlooking beautiful scenery, talking to Jesus. Didn't leave God. And he didn't say, you know, Robert, you don't smell too good. Are you with me? When I was in his presence, there wasn't judgment. There wasn't condemnation. Because if you're praying and you think you have a relationship with God, well, I don't like to talk to God. I don't like to go to God because when I do, then I just feel condemned because I just no, no, no. You're just in the you're in the presence of yourself. You're just introspecting of who you are, and you, based upon listen to me, listen to me, based upon your own standards, are judging yourself. This is a true story. Sister Annie told me this story that one time they went down to this far village way up in the hills of, in Mexico, had never uh, uh, been to it before, had to travel for days to get up to it, went to the village, found there was a little church there. And so they went into the church and they started talking to the people and they said, oh, we'd love you all to preach and stay with us and whatever. And it was one of these, these churches where they were speaking mostly in Indian dialect. And so they were working with translators and all this kind of stuff. Like they said, well, we do speak Spanish and we do all our worship in Spanish. Oh, okay. Well, why do you do it like that? Well, there was a man who came up here and taught us Spanish. Oh, okay. And so they started the worship service, and man, they got, this preacher gets up there, and they get going, and they have never heard anybody curse as much as this preacher. This preacher throwing down curse words like you ain't never heard. The songs had cuss words in them. Everybody's cussing them. You know, it was like, God, you are the blankety blankest blank blank God in the world. There's no God like you. And they're just like, well, come to find out the guy that came to the village who was escaping the law. He was uh, uh, an outlaw, ran to, got to the mountains, and he taught them 
Spanish, well, he just taught them his Spanish, and so he said, oh, you know, descriptive word, oh, yeah, you say this. They didn't know. With all of their heart, with all of the tenderness of their heart, they were trying to express to themselves in a language how much they loved God and how awesome he was and how mighty he was and how spectacular he was. But to them, they were sitting there going, were they wrong? Did God not take their worship because they're cussing? Come on now. Well, see how many religious devils we got in here today. I don't think it's a good practice, but I believe those people with their hearts were pure and their hearts were right. I don't think God cared. Because he judged them in his unconditional love. But see, we judge it. We judge it. You judge yourself. You go and pray, but you're judging yourself. God didn't say you're supposed to be judging yourself. He said you're supposed to examine yourself. There's a big difference. Examining yourself, you mean it's like, man, i got this spot over here on me, Lord. I don't know what it is. That's examining yourself. You go to the doctor for an examination. You don't go to the doctor for judgment. So people that are living under religious oppression, what happens to them is they... They don't want to really have much to do with God because it causes them to reflect upon themselves and then based upon their own standard of judgment. That's like Pastor Wynn tells a story that in, there was two sections in, in a certain part of Europe that the church that he was originally affiliated with in a denomination, they had meetings there, and they always argued because one half of the church that was in another area, they believed that smoking was okay. You could smoke, didn't, it wasn't a sin. And the other half believed that smoking was a sin, but drinking was okay. And so they never could get together because this half said drinking's okay and this half said smoking's okay, but then they judged each other and said, no, you can't be smoking and you can't be drinking. And the church could never come together. All I'm saying is judgment is, a, is, a, is, a, a, is something that the devil uses against Christians so that we don't go into the presence of God. He says he wants us to comprehend the love of God. We want to know the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Then it says this, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You can't get filled with the fullness of God until you understand the love of God. And then once you understand the love of God, the fullness of God comes in you. Look at Ephesians 3.8. Ephesians 3.8 To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means that the riches are so rich you can't comprehend it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning of the ages, which has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. Now, wait a minute. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that you're supposed to know the love of God and you're supposed to come to this revelation of God so that every devil around you can just go, Oh, no! Listen, if I... Come under, if I start judging myself and I come and get myself under, maybe somebody said something 
And it got to me, and then it kind of gets an earworm in me, and then I get to thinking about this, and I go to feeling judgment on myself. And I always go before the Holy Spirit, and I say, Holy Spirit, if I'm doing something wrong, please show me. I don't want to do things wrong. I want to do things right. Show me what's wrong. But I'm not going to listen to this judgment. And then I turn to the devil, and I say, God loves me, and I'm going to heaven, and you're not. And instantly, it's all gone. Instantly, I'm not thinking judgmental thoughts anymore. Now, the Holy Ghost may come over and say, okay, Robert, see, if you, you need to make a little correction here. You need to turn the bow of the ship just a little bit here to get right. But the judgment leaves. Because why I understand the love of God? I understand that no matter how, how disappointing I could be to humanity, God loves me. He loves me. He loves me for just like I am. He loves me in my imperfections. He loves me in my good days. He loves me in my bad days. God loves me. He ain't going to give up on me. No matter how far I go, the Bible says, to the farthest depths of the bottom of the sea, to, to whatever, wherever, however far I think I could run, God still loves me. When I turn around, I'm going to find a loving God staring at me. Oh, I can do myself a lot of damage, hurt people, do whatever, but I'm telling you, when I turn to God, he's going to, He loves me. And that is a revelation that changes your life because you don't want to go into the presence of God if you don't think you're in unconditional love. But I'm telling you this morning what the Word tells us is that you, anytime you enter the presence of God, unconditional love is what you're going to be met with, agape love. Okay? Then let me give you my last point. So with what I've told you about, you, you need to understand your salvation. You understand what's in your salvation, the benefits of it. You need to understand that God's unconditional love for you. The fourth thing is simply this. It's up to you to step out. See, God loves you, and he's always going to be there for you. But he's only there for you when you turn around and come to him. He's always there. He's always around you. He's always wanting you. But you're the one that has to initiate the, the relationship because he's already initiated it. You say, well, I don't know. What do you mean God already initiated He sent us Jesus. He already made a way where there wasn't any way. So he's just waiting on you. To choose. Look at Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what this is saying, church? Listen to these words. He's saying that he wants, God wants to show you his kindness through Jesus. I don't know why this thought just turned in my head thinking about show us your kindness. What can that mean? I remember one time we was deep in Mexico. We stopped at this little place. There was this lady that came out. She, she was a Christian. She was so happy to, 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 that we were there. And she came and she was so excited and her face was just beaming. And she said, I, let me fix y'all lunch. And we're, I mean, she's poor. And I don't, I'm like, we don't want to, I don't want to take anything from you. I want to, I came, no, it's a great honor for us to do this. And I'll never forget, she went into this little tin shed, dirt floor, one table, three chickens on it. Shooed them off, wiped it off, sat us down to eat in this little dirt floor, and she was so happy to give us something. But she had nothing. 
You know what I mean? There was just, you really had nothing. God Almighty wants to show you his kindness. What do you think he's got on his table? I bet it ain't three chickens. He paves streets with gold. Well, he actually doesn't pave them. They're solid gold. He don't lay a caliche base and pour gold on top. Hello? Solid gold. And he, he wants to show you kindness. <laughs> Woo, what do you think that looks like? But you see, the devil wants to keep you out. He wants to whisper in your ear and tell you you're not any good and judge you and put you down and, and all these things. And he wants to keep you away from this kindness God wants to give you. Wow. But we're standing in grace. So last scripture here. Well, I doubt that's the last one. The last one I want to, the last of the major ones I'm going to. Luke 19.1. Luke 19.1. The story of Zacchaeus. You may know the story, you may not. Let me do just a little bit of reading. I'll go fast. Then Jesus entered in and he passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man whose name was Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short-statured. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now just think about this for a minute. This is a man who is short of stature. He's a tax collector, so he's hated by most everybody. But he's good tax collector because he's rich, man. He's got money. So everybody hates him. So he's a man who knows that if he makes a sidestep or does something awkward, that he's going to get ridiculed. Yet all of a sudden to see Jesus, this man throws everything aside. And he runs down the street and climbs up in a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And he's just going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. <laughs> see, things like this, these are, these are the DVDs I want to see when I get to heaven. You know, like was Jesus seen him from far off in the tree or he just walk up and then the bushes rattle and he looked up and there was Zacchaeus in the tree? I mean, I, I don't know. I just want to, I really want to see how that came out. And he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained saying, well, he's going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Judgment. Then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything by anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come into your house. What happened? Two things he did, or more than that, but one of the first things he did is he did not care what anybody thought. And I want to tell you something. I would rather be known as a radical Christian than a religious person. I would rather people say, oh, don't get around old crazy preacher over there, man. Get around him. He's going to pray for you. He's going to do something. I'd rather be known as that person than a person who never stepped out for Jesus. Hello? If you're going to develop this relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to stop and take time. You're going to have to call your friend and say, look, I know I was going to come have coffee with you this morning, but I can't do it. I'm going to pray for 20 minutes. 
What do you mean pray for 20 minutes? Well, I don't know. Preacher just said we had to step out, and that's what I'm doing. You kind of have to be hungry enough to look ridiculous. To, 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 even if you say, well, let's, I, I don't believe it's ridiculous, but you're going to have to change your schedule to make it work out. And without changing your schedule and making it work, putting time in to do it, you're never going to see Jesus walk by. And then the second thing he did is he came under, listen, here's a good word, conviction. Not condemnation. Condemnation only points out what's wrong with you. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit brings upon you, showing you how to change your course so you cannot be hurt. That's the difference. That's the Robert Richards definition. may not find it in Webster's like that, but bless God, you can find it in the Robert Richards Dictionary. Are you with me? You see, what I'm trying to help you do today through this whole thing about developing your relationship is I want you to be able to understand that, first of all, you have the right as a child of God. If you're born again, if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, you have the right to go to heaven and talk to, talk to your Heavenly Father. Second thing is you have to understand there's, a, there's benefits for doing it, and God has a lot of promises for you He wants to put in you. The third thing you have to understand, though, is that it's all based in love. But the fourth thing is, what I'm saying right now is, you have, to, you have to do it. You have to be like Zacchaeus, willing to climb up a tree, willing to look like a fool, willing to, to do whatever it takes to have that conviction of God on you that you can live. Now, folks, listen to me. We are not all the same. Some of you, some of you, you know, uh, are more cultured than others. I don't know who you are, but... You know, you may want to light potpourri in your house and a candle and, 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 and sit down there and that's how you want to worship. Man, glory to God, go do it. Knock yourself out. Others of you may want to sit on the back of your truck. I don't know. I don't know when your time is. I don't know when your, your, your optimum mental capacity is right. But what I'm telling you is, folks, listen to me. Going into this next year, you're going to need your relationship with God firmer than it's ever been. And you're going to have to know that you've already been that day, gotten the download from heaven, and you know what to be prepared for. So then when that old, old slew foot pops his head up, you say, oh, I knew you were coming. I was ready for you. And it just, you turn to the God who loves you. You turn to the God who loves you and cares for you and your grace you're standing in. And you take a, put a big old smile on your face and say, everything's going to be all right. Now, I want to leave you with this thought. I, I, I don't know. I just, it's almost like osmosis. Some way or another, when I was a kid and, you know, my parents took me to church, you learn the song, Jesus Loves Me. This I know. Isn't it interesting that from a young child, young age, I could sing, Jesus loves me. This I know, but I didn't know it. I only sang the song. Why? For the Bible tells me so. <laughs> but then... They never told me I needed to read my Bible. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. Oh, but he is strong. Think about that. We sang these songs. 
But did we know it? It was a, it was Jesus loves you, but it was like, yeah, okay. Not Jesus saying to us, I love you. And we said, you love us. And so it changed our life. We all sang it. We all were there as kids singing the song. Jesus loves me, this I know, but we didn't know. So it's time to know. It's time, and this is what I want you to do. Just put your Bibles up and put your Bibles down. No, put your Bibles up, up or down, wherever, and stand up. I want to pray for you because I know that I've said all the words I could say, but it's got to be the infusion of the Holy Spirit that really can make the difference. And so whether you're watching today or listening or you're in here, I want to pray for you. Because if you're living under judgment, you're living under condemnation, that's not where you should be. You should be living under love, and you should be living under conviction. So I want to pray for you. So I want to ask everyone, just, just stick your heart out towards God as I pray this prayer. And if this is you, grab hold of it. Father, right now I pray that people eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that the scales and the lies that the enemy has perpetrated upon people through judgment, through condemnation, Lord, they would fall off today and that they would see you, Jesus, that you loved us, you came into this world, and you went to the cross for us. You proved your love for us. You gave your life for us. Lord, today let their eyes see and behold you, Jesus, and your love and the grace that you offer us. Lord, let the chains be broken off of their backs, off of their minds. Let them behold you, Jesus, like they've never seen before, and let them be free to feel your love, to feel your goodness, to feel your grace. Oh, God, I pray that there be a change, a revival of love sweep through the land and that people's lives would totally, completely be altered because of they understand that, God, you love them. You love them unconditionally. So, Lord, I ask you right now to break those chains of condemnation and guilt. Break those chains of judgment upon people's lives. So that we can be free. That we can be free to walk in love with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. Right now. In Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that, say amen. Now, thank you, Jesus. Let me have my prayer team come down. One last thing. I can't leave here without giving you an invitation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... If you're sitting in here right now listening to me talking about the love of God and talking about knowing that you're saved, but you don't have that reassurance on the inside of your heart, whether you're listening out there or you're in the building here, it doesn't make any difference where you are. The Bible's simple. It says all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Bring Jesus. Invite him into your life. Call upon him with faith. Confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart. And you will be saved. You see, it's all about faith and your faith in Jesus.
I'm telling you, he did it for you. He made a way. But wherever you are, if you'll just call out and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the son of God. I ask you to, to, to fill my heart and to fill my life. I want to live with you forever. He'll touch you right there. If you're in this building, it's the reason why we have prayer people come up here. If you're in this building and you're not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure that, that you're really right with God. That's what we're here for is to pray with you. It's the greatest thing that you could ever do in life. So I encourage you, don't get in a hurry and leave. If you've got friends with you and you're not sure that they're right with God, we're up here. Just come on. Get with them. Bring them up here. We'll all pray, and your life will be changed today. But I also encourage you, don't leave the building if you don't know. We live in a time in a world where you don't know what's going to happen the next second. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, God is good. Now I'm going to bless you. Father, I just declare in Jesus' name, these are blessed people. I thank you as we go out into the world, there's going to be people all around us we're going to run into this week. We're going to get to tell them about how much God loves them. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless them. I ask you to just put your hand upon them and that everything they do is just, Lord, it, they can see you're in the middle of it. And, Lord, I ask you this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We're here to pray for you if you need prayer.